Hello and welcome to Biblical Breadcrumbs, a series where I break down a bit of the Bible to get you to look at it more. Today we're going to be in Matthew chapter 4. This episode is going to cover about the first half of it. Um, through verse 11 or so, we're going to be talking about the temptation of Jesus as it's commonly known. It's recorded in Matthew 4 and it's recorded in Luke 4. We don't care about Luke 4 because we're going through Matthew. And so if you want to think about Luke 4, do that separately. It's a whole different thing. It's a different retelling of that and it has a different point to it. And so it's displayed differently. It's an interesting comparison, but for our purposes, we're just going to be looking at Matthew's account. Now, I don't think there is going to be much that's new here. This is a story we're all fairly familiar with. I would, ass I would assume uh, most of the listeners would be. But there may be a couple things you haven't considered before behind uh, what passages are quoted and why. And so, like all of the other Old Testament prophecies that are quoted and fulfilled, I want to look at it in the same way. Because, turns out, you know, you know how Matthew quotes, like, one verse from the Old Testament? And then it turns out he's actually quoting the context of that verse and not just that one verse? Jesus is doing the same thing. Jesus is going to do exactly the same thing. And it's not really going to change my explanations of those won't actually change the meaning of what we get out of it, and it won't change the meaning of what Jesus says, but it might add another layer that makes you appreciate what that meaning is more. And so that's what I'm hoping to do with this. Uh, it might be something you've seen before. It might not be. And so whatever the case, um, follow along and pay attention, and by all means, look these up and decide what they're saying before I talk through it so that, so that you can find it for yourself, because it's really fun to go and explore and find things for yourself before someone else just explains them to you. Um, so feel free to do that. That would be amazing. We're going to pick up in Matthew chapter 4. Right before we get there, I'm going to refresh a little bit of last time. Last time, we ended off on this note, uh, this kind of cliffhanger, where Jesus is baptized for whatever reason, and I'm still not clear on that, but he's baptized, and, and the Spirit comes down on him, and God speaks from heaven, saying, look, this is my son, right? And so now you have this emphasis on who Jesus is. You have his identity on full display for this people, th these Jews. And so now they see who Jesus is, or, or they have that confirmed for them. The devil's going to call that into question here. And so I'll point that out in the two times that it happens. And then we'll, we'll draw an idea from that the third time when it doesn't happen. Uh, I think that's an interesting play there on how, it is, uh, on how it's called out. And so Jesus is confirmed to be God's son. And then immediately, right, right immediately after this, He's drawn into the wilderness to try and confirm that and see if that is actually the case. And so we'll start reading in Matthew chapter 4, verse 1, and let's go through uh, about verse 4, because that's what we call like the first temptation. Matthew chapter 4 in verse 1. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Then the tempter approached him and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. He answered, it is written, man must not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. 
And so here we have a situation where Jesus was just baptized and, and the Spirit came down on him. And now the Spirit is leading him into the wilderness. Why? It's to be tempted. Right? That's the reason he goes into the wilderness. It's not to pray. It's not to spend time alone. It's not to, like, drag his followers after him. He's going into the wilderness to be tempted. That's the reasoning. And, and so he's there. He fasts for a long time. And so, well, he's hungry. He hasn't eaten in 40 days, or at least, he had, yeah. And so then Satan comes and says, you know what? You know, hey, hey, Jesus, if you're God's son, like you claim you are, Right, if you're God's son, like like we've all just been told and like we've all just heard, why don't you feed yourself? Why not provide for yourself? Like like you have the power to do this, so why not do it? Why is that a temptation? Have you ever thought about why that is such a temptation, and why it would be bad for Jesus to do that? Is it bad to eat? Is it bad to be provided for? Is it bad to do the work and then be providing for yourself no it, it's not none of those things are bad but think about his answer man must not live on bread alone but on every word that comes from the mouth of god look back at where that's found do you know what passage that's quoted from that's quoted from and if you have a bible with good verse references like mine does It'll tell you that it's from Deuteronomy chapter 8 uh, in verse 3. Deuteronomy chapter 8 in verse 3. I'm going to start reading Deuteronomy 8 verse 1 uh, through like probably verse 6. Okay? Deuteronomy chapter 8 verse 1. This is the context of the passage that were that Jesus uh, comment or that he quotes. And so Deuteronomy chapter 8 starting in verse 1. Carefully follow every command I am giving you today, so that you may live and increase, and may enter and take possession of the land the Lord swore to your fathers. Remember that the Lord your God led you on the entire journey this forty years in the wilderness, so that he might humble you, and test to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you by letting you go hungry. Then he gave you manna to eat, which you and your fathers had not known, so that you might learn that man does not live on bread alone but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothing didn't wear out, and your feet didn't swell these 40 years. Keep in mind that the Lord your God has been disciplining you just as a man disciplines his son. So keep the commandments of the Lord your God by walking in his ways and fearing him. Follow every command so that, so that you can benefit from this. Like God said to you, he's been with you, and he's brought you on this journey. Why? So that he would humble you and test you as to whether you're going to keep his commands. He humbled you when he let you go hungry and then he provided for you, right? God used this instance in Deuteronomy chapter 8. Uh, well, he used the wilderness wandering instance cited in Deuteronomy chapter 8 to humble this people like a man disciplines his son. Did you catch that? Just as God disciplines his son, he's disciplining Israel. And, and so when Jesus goes through this, firstly, that's, that's kind of a fulfillment of a prophecy right there. Uh, but secondly, this is 
to humble them. This is to, to keep them in the proper frame of mind that God provides, and God provides when God wants to provide. And so why is it a temptation? Why is it sinful for Jesus to make these stones bread? It's sinful because that would be stepping out of bounds. God is using this experience to humble Jesus and make sure that Jesus is going to do the things that God says to. And so if God goes ahead and steps outside of those bounds and goes ahead and, and does his own thing and provides for himself, then that's sinful because God is using this for a reason. And so when he, when he quotes this verse in, in Matthew 4, verse 4, he's not saying, nah, I don't need bread, I need God. He's saying, I'm trusting God. I don't need bread that God's not providing. Is that very much different? Not at all. And you can get most of that meaning from what Jesus just says. But if you look back, then it might make a little bit more sense as to what he's talking about. So that's the first temptation, right? That's that one out of the way. And the devil has said, you know, if you're God's son, do this. And Jesus said, I'm God's son, so I trust in him. I'm not going to go outside of what he says. So no. And the devil moves on. Let's look at Matthew chapter 4, starting in verse 5 and reading through verse 7. Um, we'll have the second temptation, and then we'll talk about that one too. Matthew chapter 4, starting in verse 5. Then the devil took him to the holy city, had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, He will give his angels orders concerning you, and they will support you with their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus told him, It is also written, Do not test the Lord your God. And so what do we have here? Right? Imagine the situation, okay? You're, you're, you're just kind of minding your own business. And this random guy comes up to you and says, hey, you want to go to the roof of this building? And, and so obviously you just go, no, no questions about it. So you go to the tallest building that there is, basically. And uh, he says, hey, jump off because God's going to catch you. That is basically the scenario that Jesus is in. Uh, so why is that? A temptation. Why is it a temptation to uh, jump off a building? And no, it's not parkour. I, I think about it. Why is why would this be something Jesus would want to do? Well, the temple is it's kind of a re religious site. It's kind of very important and key to basically everything that the Jews do. And so how many people are in and around the temple? How many people see the temple? The temple is this huge building. I think it's the biggest in Jerusalem. I'm assuming, um, unless there's like, unless there's something I don't remember or I'm missing, then it's probably the temple is like the biggest, most famous building in Jerusalem, definitely. And, and so this is like a center of attention. What happens if somebody gets on the roof of it and jumps off? How many people do you think are going to see that? How many people are going to see that? And then when that man gets caught by angels and lands on the ground perfectly fine, how many people are going to see that and say, wow, that man must have God on his side? Because he's got, he, he's protected by the Lord. There's no way he could do that. 
must be under God's protection. This would get Jesus so much attention. And God wants Jesus to have attention. In a sense, he wants people to know who he is. He wants people to come to Jesus and be saved. And so the devil's saying, hey, God wants you to have attention. Do this. This will get you attention. right? And God's even promised that, that you won't be hurt. God's even promised to catch you. Um, and some people say, oh, the devil's misquoting the Bible. If you read Psalm 91 which is where the devil is quoting from, then I'm not exactly sure that the devil is misquoting the Bible. I'm not going to say that for certain, because I don't know all of their arguments, but um, uh, Psalm 91, verse 9, Because you have made the Lord my refuge the Most High, your dwelling place, no harm will come to you. No plague will come near your tent. He will give his angels orders concerning you to protect you in all your ways. They'll support you with their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. You'll tread on the lion and the cobra. You'll trample down the young lion and the serpent. God's going to protect you, right? If you are his, God's going to protect you. And so that's kind of what it's talking about. Now, is he talking physically in Psalm 91? And I doubt it. But it could be read as physically, and so maybe that's what the devil is doing. Is he misquoting Psalm 91? Maybe. I may have just convinced myself that he is misquoting it slightly, uh, but he would just be using its literal sense instead of its figurative sense. So it's not like, it's not horribly off, and I could see how he understood it that way, or how, uh, or, or how he pretended to understand it that way to trip Jesus up. Whatever the case... He forgot this balancing passage because Jesus quotes from Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6, and I believe it's verse 16. Yeah, so um, context for this verse is actually going to be in Exodus because um, uh, Deuteronomy 6, 16, Do not test the Lord your God as you tested him at Massa. What's Masa? And here we go to Exodus 17. I believe it is. Um, Exodus 17 verses 1 through 7, if I'm remembering it correctly. Yes, I am. And, and so here you have this, this happening where Israel is in the desert, right? They've, they've come into the wilderness of Sinai. Um, or sorry, they've just left the wilderness of Sinai. They're camping other places. And they come to Moses and they say, Ah, we got no water. And Moses says, uh, "God's, it, it's going to be like, fine. Why are you complaining at me? Why are you testing God on this? Just trust, just trust, and he will take care of us. And the people say, ah, but we got no water. And Moses says, Lord, what am I supposed to do? <laughs> what am I supposed to do with this people? They're so against me. They're going to hurt me. They're going to stone me. And the Lord says in verse 5, Go on ahead of the people. This is Exodus 17, verse 5. Go on ahead of the people. Take some of the elders of Israel with you. Take the staff you struck the Nile with in your hand and go. I am going to stand there in front of you on the rock at Horeb. When you hit the rock, water will come out of it and the people will drink. Moses did this in the sight of the elders of Israel. He named the place Massa and Meribah because the Israelites complained and because they tested the Lord saying, Is the Lord among us or not? Again, this comes back to what 
do we trust that God is going to provide or do we not? Does Jesus trust that God is going to provide food for him? Evidently, yes. But but is is God going to provide the the the, the famousness for him? Is God going to provide the glory for him? Is God going to provide the uh, the the well knownness, his famousness, his name's going to be spread? Is God going to provide that for him? Really, really, God's going to do all of that? And Jesus says, "Yeah, don't test the Lord your God." Israel tested him back at uh, Massa, back at Meribah, and that's a sin to try and get around. Like, uh, to try and ignore the fact that God's providing for them. And so he says, yeah, don't test the Lord your God. I'm not going to jump off this building. E even if God would protect me, which he might well have, I don't know, I'm not God. But even if God did that, that would be showing Jesus not trusting. And so he says, no, I'm, I'm not going to do that. I'm God's son. I'm not going to not trust him. He's my father. And so we have our third temptation. Third strike. Uh, the devil's going to really try and get him now. Uh, starting in verse 8 of Matthew chapter 4. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And he said to him, I'll give you all these things if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus told him, Go away, Satan. It is written, Worship the Lord your God. And serve only him. Then the devil left him, and the angels came and began to serve him. The devil takes him to a mountain. Third time, right? He's already been on top of the temple, so the devil takes him to an even higher place. And he shows him all the kingdoms of the world. And everything that's in them. And he says, worship me. Now, how is that a temptation? right? Jesus is God. Jesus is God's son. Jesus is the son of God, and Jesus is God's son. We've had that emphasized straight from chapter one. It was emphasized in chapter three. Now the devil does not even doubt it. Note that he just, he just says, he, he's given up on the, if you are the son of God, do this thing. The devil's not even trying that anymore because he knows that Jesus is God's son, and he's not giving that up. And so he says, look, just worship me. Is it tempting to God to worship Satan? No, it's not. And so why is this a temptation for Jesus? Why is this what the devil thinks will really get him? Well, think about this. What's the reward that Satan is offering? He says, look, I'm gonna give, I, could, I could give you all of the kingdoms of the world. Could he do that? Does the devil really control all of the kingdoms of the world? Well, yeah, right? He, he's the prince of the world. He, he's the ruler of this present age. Yes, he does control all the kingdoms of the world. And I don't have a problem with saying that. Now, ultimately, God does, right? And ultimately, God's the one with the power, and he can decide what ultimately happens to any of these nations. But Satan does have power here. And even God admits that. He's allowed Satan to have power here. Is this a fake promise? Is this something that Satan's lying about, where he's just like, I'm going to give you all of this stuff that's already yours? No, it's not. 
If it was, that would not be a temptation. Jesus would see right through that and say, like, you're an idiot. What are you doing? I own them already. Fact is, Jesus doesn't say that because they do belong to Satan. Now, why is this a temptation? Why would Jesus want the kingdoms of the world? Think about what Jesus is trying to do. He's trying to set up his own kingdom, right? And so you have all these kingdoms of the world, and they're so quarrelsome. They're fighting each other. They're always uh, getting in each other's way. They're always fighting God. And Satan says, you know what? I own these. I can give them all to you, and you can unify them. I can give them all to you. They can just be yours. I can give them all to you, and you won't have to go through all of the suffering and all of the pain and torment that God's going to put you through to make your own kingdom. I could just give them to you. Just bow down. Do you get why that's a temptation? Do you get why that's tempting to Jesus? Because he knows the pain that he's going to go through. And he knows the death that he's going to have to die to set up his own. It'd be so much easier if he would just bow just, just once and get all these kingdoms for free, basically. Uh, what is it? It's a physical action. God would know he didn't mean it, and so he would just like bow to him, and it would be fine. The devil knows that if Jesus bowed to him, yeah, sure, he could have all the kingdoms, because if Jesus bowed to him, that would be sin. And, and it doesn't matter what Jesus has at that point. Because if Jesus has sinned, then he can't help anybody. And he can't save anyone. And, and so what's he saying here? He's saying, look, do this one simple action. And I'll give you all of this. Knowing full well, if Jesus does that, then it's irrelevant what Jesus can do. It, it's no longer uh, anything. Jesus cannot save if he sins here. And so Jesus says, you know what? God said no, so I'm not going to. And look at Deuteronomy 6. Um, look at Deuteronomy 6, starting in verse 10. Right? When the Lord your God brings you into the land, he swore to your fathers Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that he would give you, a land with large and beautiful cities that you didn't build, houses full of every good thing that you didn't fill them with, cisterns that you didn't dig, and vineyards and olive groves that you didn't plant, when you eat and are satisfied, be careful not to forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the place of slavery. Fear the Lord your God. Worship him. Take your oaths in his name. Do not follow other gods, the gods of the people around you. For the Lord your God who is among you is a jealous God. Otherwise, the Lord your God will become angry with you and obliterate you from the face of the earth. Don't test the Lord your God as you tested him at Massa. It's that same context where God says, look, I am providing for you. I am overabundantly giving to you things that you did not earn and things that you do not deserve. Worship me and nobody else. Could Jesus have earned kingdoms freely by doing this? Yes, he could have. I think he could. I, I legitimately think he could. But Jesus knows what God says. We worship God only because he gives us so much. And so Jesus's the, these temptations are targeted at Jesus's identity as the son of God. And they're targeted at Jesus's reliance and, and his trust in God. Is God going to provide for you? 
Is he going to provide physically for you? Is he going to provide the, the fame and the glory for you? Is he really going to provide these kingdoms for you? Is he going to make you suffer all of that for just making your own kingdom when I could give you all of these? Yeah. And Jesus accepts that because he's God's son. So if we're also God's children, then how do you think we should ask, act when the devil says, hey, is God going to provide for you? Is God really going to care for you? Is God really, does he care? Is he going to protect you? Is he really? We're God's children too. Yes, yes, he will. That's why those are temptations for Jesus. And that's how Jesus overcomes them. Because God is to be trusted above everything else. It doesn't matter what's thrown at him. Jesus has the right answer. And hopefully that's something we can learn from. As soon as the devil leaves, the angels begin to serve. And remember, this is not the only time that the devil ever tempts them. right? It might be the only specifically recorded time, but this is not the only... The devil tried three times to get Jesus to sin and he just couldn't. And so Jesus just didn't have to go through anything else. It's not that at all. But we're given these as an example... Because it shows where Jesus' trust is. And I hope that's helpful for us to see. Well, we've come to the end here. I know it's a little bit longer than um, previous episodes, but there is just, there is so much that goes into those few verses. Um, is it anything particularly new? I don't think so. Is it anything that you didn't know before? Probably not. And yet I think it is helpful to see that context, and I think it is helpful to understand some of what's going on there so that you can, um, so that you realize Jesus isn't just saying, oh, no, I don't eat bread. He, he's saying, I need to trust God because God's going to provide. I think that's a more valuable lesson than just learning, oh, we should reject bread. I don't think anyone actually believes that, and I really hope they don't because that's not what Jesus is saying at all. Uh, so I hope that, that those explanations have been helpful for you. I hope that you were able to see those for yourself before I talked through them because it's so much better to learn for yourself than to get me to tell it to you first. Thanks for listening. Um, we'll start the next episode sometime later this week, I think, with Matthew chapter 4 in verse 12 and probably go through all the rest of it setting up for the Sermon on the Mount, which is an exciting time. It's going to take us quite a little bit to get through. So I hope you come back for that. I'm glad you've listened this far, and uh, I pray that this has been helpful for you. I'll see you next time on the next episode of Biblical Breadcrumbs.